0: Welcome to another Hepatitis Victoria podcast. Jennifer McLaughlin is an epidemiologist at the Doherty Institute, and I spoke to her recently about what's new in the Viral Hepatitis National Mapping Report. Hope you enjoy the interview.
1: This report is the first time we've actually combined Hepatitis B and Hepatitis C into one big report. We need to make sure that when we're making lots of progress on Hepatitis C for example with the new medications, Hepatitis B doesn't fall behind and I think it's really good to have everything in one place as a resource. And there's a few new other things that are in the report. We've got a lot more information about the cascade of care for Hepatitis B, looking at monitoring and how well people are being followed up. And also for the first time it includes uh, liver cancer data and we can look at the distribution of that according to geographic area And it really highlights some of the disparities that that exist in liver cancer incidents across Australia.
0: There were separate reports before, and now they're together. And now, of course, you've got liver cancer as well. What is it you're trying to achieve in this... Um, synthesis. It
1: sort of grew out of the fact that we wanted to include liver cancer and then we sort of had to decide well do we include it in the hep B report or in the hep C report and we thought you know, we can't choose one or the other so we decided to bring them together. But we have still kept them in separate sections, I think we want to make sure that if you're looking for information about hep B or hep C you can still find it, but also trying to highlight that there are differences according to region. some areas have a high burden of hep B or hep C, but also just really um, emphasising that we need to tackle viral hepatitis as, a, as one thing essentially.
0: And where has there been progress?
1: One of the things that we've seen with hepatitis C is that we had a really massive increase in treatment uptake, obviously with the new treatments, there was just a huge amount of awareness and um, really good uptake in 2016. What we've seen is that that has dropped off a little bit in 2017, but the good thing is that it hasn't declined any further. So what we're seeing is that it looks like hepatitis C treatment has stabilised at a steady rate, and what we saw that that was fairly even across the geographic region. So what we would prefer to see would be a continued increase, but if it is going to decline, at least we saw that it was fairly even across those
0: areas. But what implications does this have for achieving the 2030 goal of of elimination?
1: There's some really good work done by the Kirby Institute actually looking at tracking those goals to see where we're we're at in terms of whether we're going to meet the 2030 goals and I think their predictions are that we are still on track if we maintain the current levels of treatment but what the report really highlights is that is certainly true for some areas but there are other areas that have lower levels of uptake and so if the national average is some areas are below the the national average um, they may not be on track to, to reach those targets.
0: Are there any particular groups that we need to focus on with with more emphasis perhaps?
1: In a lot of rural and regional areas across Australia um, there's much lower uptake and I think particularly for hepatitis C we really need to make sure that we're reaching out to those communities who are living in those areas and making sure that they're getting service delivery.
0: I mean, one of the really fascinating things about your epidemiological data is the fact that we know in certain regions and areas is a, it's a guess, but it's, it's a pretty accurate one. How many people there have um, viral hepatitis? It gives us such powerful data to actually then go into those communities and to tell them to make them aware about this. In terms of the accuracy of the data, can you tell me how we actually know? It seems so specific, doesn't it?
1: Sure, yeah, and you raise a really good point that it is an estimate. Um, It's not an absolute statement of there are exactly this many people living with um, hepatitis in a particular area. But what it is is it's trying to gauge the variation, and so it may be slightly different number but when we talk about one area having twice as high a prevalence of hepatitis C as another area, we can be fairly confident that when we're making relative comparisons that one area does have um, a higher burden. But one of the other things that we do is we like to talk to people in the local communities that we're um, estimating for and really get feedback from them and sometimes they say, well we're actually seeing lower rates or higher rates than what are being captured because the report is really reliant on the data sources that we have and so if the diversity in an area isn't really being captured in, in the data sources, we might need to um, sort of adjust and, and take take account of some nuances there. And one of the key areas that actually comes into play is with correctional facilities. So obviously there's a very high burden of um, hepatitis C in prisons and prisons are geographically distributed in certain areas and so we need to make sure we take account of that. And we actually present prison treatment uptake estimates in the report specifically so you can look at how different states
0: are doing. And how far and how well are they progressing the prison treatments?
1: I'll just make the caveat that these are the 2016 estimates, and so there's been a lot more progress in the last two, two and a half years. What we see is there are some areas that are doing really well. The ACT is um, doing a fantastic job in um, getting treatment access in prisons, and then there are other states where the overall level of uptake is relatively low, but there are specific prisons where they're doing a really great job. For example, the Lotus Glen Prison in Cairns has actually achieved uh, effectively elimination, and so what we need to see is that broadening out to um, other prisons in, in across the states. Do you have any-
0: Data on reinfection? It
1: it is a really interesting question. It's something that's quite difficult to estimate because the way that the system that measures the number of infections is set up is that each person is only counted once and so it's actually not able to detect reinfections. And there's some work that's happening actually looking at groups of people living with hepatitis C after they've been cured to see if they are reinfected. So those are happening uh, in other sort of settings. And what people are seeing is that there are reinfections, of course, that's naturally going to happen, but no more than, than would be expected. One of the things that it demonstrates that is that if you're seeing reinfections, you're, you're treating people who need to be treated because they're at risk of hepatitis C. And so that's what's really important is that we're getting treatment out to people who are um, at risk of reinfection.
0: And just talking about hepatitis B, what are the challenges there? Because it's, it's a very different community isn't it or series or different communities that that, uh, have more prevalence.
1: Yeah absolutely and that's something we tried to highlight in the report even though it is one report we really look at the priority populations affected by chronic hepatitis B so looking at the major countries of birth also um, laying the portion of people living with hep B in a particular area for for example who were born overseas or who are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and that varies greatly according to area so for example in the Northern Territory Primary Health Network it's more than 60% of people affected are, are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Whereas when we look at urban Melbourne, for example, the vast majority were born overseas. And so we really try to capture that diversity and really highlight that if we are going to respond to hepatitis B, we have to make sure that those responses are tailored um, to the particular groups affected.
0: I think one of the other things that I find really interesting is the epidemiological data for liver cancer and liver, liver health or liver mm. diseases, other liver diseases. Can you talk a little bit about that and where the data comes from and then how accurate the data is?
1: Sure. So uh, the source for the liver cancer data is a really great project from the University of Queensland and a few other collaborators called the Australian Cancer Atlas. I mean, that's actually a public resource. People can go in there and they can explore it for all different cancers. We used the liver cancer data and what we did was calculate the sort of variation in incidence for each primary health network, but then also comparing that to the rates of hepatitis B, hepatitis C, and then also a couple of other um, predictors of, of liver disease such as alcohol um, and obesity. And what was really interesting is that a lot of those other indicators, so hepatitis C, alcohol, obesity, um, they're much more evenly distributed across Australia. So you don't see the same sort of very high rates in some areas and very low rates in the other. There is diversity, but it's not quite as stark. Whereas for hepatitis B, there's really, really clear differences in the prevalence according to area. In some places, it's four or five times higher than in other regions.
0: Jen, so let's talk a little bit about the data, if there is any Epidemiological or otherwise for other liver diseases like fatty liver disease, what do we have at the moment?
1: Yeah, for sure, it's um, it's very limited. That's one of the real challenges um, when we're sort of talking about this issue and when we're trying to raise awareness or trying to address it. There's really very little information about how many Australians are even living with fatty liver disease or what their risk is in terms of how likely it might be to cause liver disease in in future or, or adverse outcomes such as liver cancer. So I think that's something that really needs to be further addressed. And and also we need to have good diagnostic markers if we're going to be able to measure how many people are living with the disease we need to know how how it's diagnosed and make sure that that's a really effective predictor of someone's health.
0: So in terms of the overall picture I suppose for hepatitis B and C is there anything that jumps out and surprises you good or bad?
1: One of the things that we've always looked at is the proportion of people living with hepatitis B who are engaged in care that's one of the key indicators it's in the national strategies um, and we'd always estimated it at around 20% and that's sort of the number of people who had a viral load last year. So it was a very simple measure Um, but this year we got a much more granular data set and we actually looked at it in quite a lot of detail and what we found is that yes about 20% of people have a viral load in a given year but most of those people are only getting one viral load every four or five years and so when we're actually looking at the guidelines which say that a person living with chronic hep B should have a viral load every year in order to be engaged in good monitoring, when we say that 20% of people are in care that's actually really an overestimate of the proportion of people who are in what we might call good care or effective care people may be getting one-off care here and there they may be getting a viral load after they're diagnosed but they're not getting any further follow-up or they might get one when someone remembers to do it or or a particular healthcare interaction but they're not actually getting regular follow-up and monitoring um, for the hepatitis B so I think that's something we really need to focus on within um, the cascade of care.
0: Where do you think the gap is in the cascade of care?
1: Overall, we see that the biggest gap by far is in engagement in care for people who have been diagnosed. So the proportion diagnosed is about 65%, which is still not high enough, but the proportion in care, as I mentioned, is around 20%. So that's just a huge gap.
0: 20% of the 65% that have been diagnosed?
1: Of the total. So 20% of of all people, yeah. yeah. And so I think, yeah, there's absolutely an issue of awareness. There's not necessarily a recognition, um, either from healthcare providers or from people affected, that this is a potentially fatal disease and that's something that you actually need to get regular follow-up for. And I think sometimes chronic disease is is difficult, it's challenging, it's hard to get someone to come back every year, it's hard to remember to go to your doctor's appointment, and particularly because hepatitis B is almost always um, asymptomatic. And so people feel perfectly well, they don't necessarily see a need to go and get a viral load every year and get their blood tests done and that kind of thing.
0: Hepatitis C, any surprises?
1: Even with a really revolutionary change that you have with the hepatitis C medications, you still need to have the underlying infrastructure and support. We looked at the proportion of people who had already had the necessary tests for their hepatitis C before March 1st, 2016. Obviously, people were very aware that the medications were coming and that they were on on the way, and then when they arrived, people could get treatment you know, on the 1st of March. And we found that in the places where treatment uptake was higher, they were the places that people had already had, they were more likely to have already had their genotype and their viral load done, and they were essentially prepped for treatment. And that's obviously not a surprising finding, really, um, but I do think it just really emphasises that we can't just have new treatments that we bring out and say, okay, they're ready, everyone can take them, that's great. We need to make sure that people
0: are supported to get to a stage where they're ready for treatment. Let's let's talk a little bit about liver cancer again mm. and where that's going. I mean, what, what does the trend say? Yeah, this is um,
1: really interesting. So uh, the data that I've presented in the report are from a few years ago, just because there's always a lag in terms of reporting. And so what we've been seeing is this continual increase in liver cancer cases, and you know, as I mentioned, the majority of that due to viral hepatitis. But actually, talking about something that's not the mapping report, there's been some really exciting research just recently released um, from Mary Malavi and her colleagues at the Kirby Institute that actually showed that since the DAA is only in the last two years the number of people living with hepatitis C who've died of liver cancer has actually started to decline which is just so exciting to see um, and really showing the impact you know not just in terms of a cure proportion or an uptake measure but actually really showing the outcomes and that people are you know living living longer and not being diagnosed with liver cancer because they've had hep C treatment.
0: What's next for the report? We do
1: want to look more at liver cancer we want to look further at some of those trends and maybe looking at trends according to geographic area of some areas are seeing increases and some areas are seeing decreases that's a really key outcome and make sure that we're really tracking in an up-to-date way how we're progressing
0: that was the Doherty Institute's Jennifer McLaughlin and if you would like to learn more about the report or download it just go to www.doherty.edu.au or you can search the HEPVIC website at hepvic.org.au where you can find more podcasts stories and videos